This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 8.37 a.m. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wang Xiaoning and Philip C. In half an hour, we have the opening bell where we check out how Bursa Malaysia begins the trading day. We're continuing now, though, with our focus on the war in Ukraine one year on. Earlier, we heard from the Russian ambassador to Malaysia on Moscow's aims for the war. But the perspective from the Ukrainian side is no doubt vastly different. Ukraine defied the odds from the very beginning to put up a strong defence against Russian troops, galvanised by a strong sense of nationalism and with the support of Western allies. In the lead-up to the one-year mark, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky has been meeting with world leaders this past week, including US President Joe Biden, in a show of continued global solidarity against Russia. However, the longer the war goes on, the higher the toll, not just on the sides of the battlefield, but also the wider global economy. Sanctions on Russian oil have caused an energy crisis in Europe during the winter months, while disruptions to supply chains caused by the war heighten food insecurity in regions far from the conflict. As Russia gears up for a prolonged military offensive, can Ukraine hold the fort and sustain their defences? For some thoughts on this, we have on the line with us Denis Mihailiuk, Charge d'Affaires at the Ukrainian Embassy embassy in Malaysia. Good morning, Dennis. Thank you very much for joining us. Can we start off with um, getting an update on what the situation on the ground is like in Ukraine one year since the outbreak of the war? First of all, let me a little bit uh, clarify the situation. You've told the uh, energy crisis in Europe in wintertime was caused by sanctions to Russia. No, exactly vice versa. It was caused by Russian attacks on energy infrastructure. They are hitting civilian infrastructure, trying to destroy and freeze people. They are using winter and cold as well as hunger as a weapon. And that's why the life of rank and file Ukrainians, especially in the battle affected areas, is not, is not easy. Every third Ukrainian is displaced. 15 million of them are displaced and many of them lost their homes and the territories invaded by Russian Federation. They are destroying cities to the ruble. They are using the tactics of the First World War artillery barrages to destroy the city and force Ukrainians to leave their own land. Lost this homes. Yeah. How do they feel? Yeah, so lost homes, damaged infrastructure, migrating and moving out from your place. Surely morale is at an all-time low? No, morale is getting more strong than it was before. A uh, recent poll, which was taken a couple of weeks ago, showed that even if Russia will uh, decide to use nuclear weapons against us, 89% of Ukrainians will be fighting that. Meanwhile, your president has said that the situation on the front lines in eastern Ukraine has become tougher as Russian forces have stepped up their offensive. Do you think that this will enable Russia to seize more territory? I don't think so. Russia has summoned 350,000 troops on our territories right now. And according to international independent estimates, they pay two thousands of lives of their soldiers for every 200 of feet. Of our territory. So their, their offense will be flooded with blood and uh, will be overthrown in time. Dennis, over the last few weeks, um, we have seen a flurry of visits to Kyiv, including um, recently President Joe Biden of the US. Uh, but other than words of support, what um, does Ukraine need um, from the international community um, in this war? We are in the middle of the war, the biggest country of the world. We need everything. We need weapons, we need humanitarian support, we need financial support. And this support is growing. Uh, we are not complaining for delays because we do understand that uh, the uh, other countries are giving these from the uh, 
prosperity of their own citizens. Uh, but they are fighting not only for our lives and for our territory, they are fighting for the international order and for the right for every single country, doesn't matter how big it is, to live peaceful and prosperous life. And that is what Russia is fighting against. Okay, earlier on this morning, we had the Russian ambassador on air with us and he has basically said that Russia was forced into action because of Ukrainian military aggression. What do you say to that? Ukraine is 25 times smaller than Russia. Ukraine was a peaceful nation and it was before 2014 that Russia in, uh, annexed Crimea was uh, has never intention to join any military alliance. Russia is one of the guarantors of our territorial integrity and our uh, independence. It was written in paper in 1994 that we gave up the nuclear weapons. Ukraine is the only country who voluntarily gave nuclear weapons and trying to be peaceful and uh, amicable to every uh, neighbor of it. Russia attacked us to destroy us, to destroy our statehood, because they, a colonial power, which is depriving other nations of the right of existence. Uh, you know, in the 19th century, uh, Russia was, Russian empire was called the prison of nations. And now they try to revive this uh, post of the past. So you have that moral cause. I guess the concern is there are some Western allied concerns that, you know, when people disperse aid and support to you, there is a whole sense of corruption in terms of how it's dispersed and distributed in Ukraine. Notably, yes, President Vladimir Zelensky has, you know, fired many officials, but there are concerns that if we give more aid to you, that it is not distributed efficiently and that there is a tinge of corruption. Is that fair, though? You know, the numbers of dead Russian soldiers, which is more than 145,000 of now, is the proof how effectively and how efficiently we use our, the help of other countries. We also invited the auditors uh, to come to Ukraine and to control uh, how this help is dispersed uh, among those who we need. We are very transparent here, and this is one of the Russian narratives to hold and to stop the aid to Ukraine. The main Russian mistake was uh, to believe that we will be standing all, all alone against their huge army and huge potential. Uh, but in the end of the first year of war, the only thing which turned to be is that Russia is uh, not a military superpower anymore and is losing its place, not an energy superpower anymore. Uh, European countries uh, get rid of Russian uh, energy blackmail after this winter, then they just stopped giving a hit to the houses of the people all over the Europe. They are losing their positions and they will be definitely defeated. Dennis, um, so far, peace negotiations have not come to any fruition. There's been really no progress on that front. What would it take uh, for the two sides to come to the negotiating table? What, um, what does Ukraine want before it can, I guess, genuinely negotiate for peace? Ukrainian conditions are very simple. Just to get out of our land and stop and ceasefire. That's it. Uh, for Russia, it's uh, much more complicated. They want us to surrender, to give up our territories, to accept the annexations, and to uh, get, get rid of our army and just disarm to make it easier for them to come and to kill us next year. Uh, so there is no room for negotiations as of now. And I think that the uh, fate of this war will be decided on the battlefield. And after the uh, military defeat of Russian forces in Ukraine, then we regain control on our territory, there might be some negotiations. So does this mean that Ukraine has the has is willing to go into war for, let's say, next 
five to ten years if this if this military conflict grinds on? Why do you think so? We ex- we hope that by this by this summer the Russian forces on Ukraine will be destroyed. Can I ask you, are you frustrated that Malaysia's position with respect to the Russia-Ukraine war is neutral and non-aligned? We, I want to thank you, the government of uh, Malaysia, for the vote in the General United Nations General Assembly this night. And so Malaysia is the member, of, respectful member of international community. It joined the 141 country of the world who condemned Russian aggression and uh, supported your Ukrainians' uh, territorial integrity and sovereignty. Thank you very much, Malaysia. Dennis, thank you for speaking to us this morning. That was Dennis Mihailiuk, Charge Affairs at the Embassy of Ukraine in Malaysia, talking to us about reflections from the Ukrainian perspective um, in the one year since uh, February 24th when uh, war broke out there. Yeah, while the war grinds on, and for and we just heard from the Ukrainian Charge Affairs, basically the only way it's going to come to the peace table is... If Russia retreats, right? So, or how? Yeah, it's it's a hard one, you know, because I just saw President Macron's speech that you know, with Russia, they have to be defeated but not destroyed. You know that that kind of language it's it's a, it creates a lot of tension, I think, among EU members on how they approach the problem. EU, being its neighbor, has to decide, you know, where does it stand, right? To what extent do they need to apply pressure? Well, um, Dennis uh, was very confident that uh, by summer, hopefully, there would be an end to war. Uh, I think the jury's still out on that. Uh, we'll be watching yeah. this closely, but we will continue with the discussion on um, the impact of the war in Ukraine. Looking at how it's impacted the global economy, we'll be speaking with Swan Tech Kin, Head of Global Economics and Market Research at UOB in just a bit. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.